I was 10 years old when I realized that my mom wished I was dead. It sounds dramatic when I put it like that. I don't mean that she tried to drown me in a lake or never even tried to hurt me. I just mean that on my 10th birthday, I became very aware of the fact that she wasn't invested in my survival. I guess I kind of knew even before then. I've always kind of known that my mom would have preferred her life if I'd never been born. But it didn't really crystallize for me until my 10th birthday. Even before that year, I'd never really liked my birthday. It just never really seemed to be about me. They hardly acknowledged it as a special day until my other relatives and whatever co-workers dad wanted to impress that week all came over for dinner. Then, suddenly, dinner was this big event because no one in my family does anything halfway. I remember that on my 10th birthday, I hated the dress my mom put me in. It was this ugly orange color and the sleeves were too tight. Every movement was just slightly restricted. My moment of realization came at the beginning of dinner. My grandmother had baked rolls from scratch to celebrate. It was a new thing for her, baking. It was never something that she ever really took to, just never quite fit. But when I was little, she used to try. I think it made her feel more like a grandmother, getting to show up with a bunch of desserts and little Tupperware containers. I wonder if she was scared of messing up the cake, because that store-bought. I don't know if the rolls were any good. They looked amazing. I remember very clearly taking one from a small basket passed around the table and setting it on my plate. I picked it up carefully and was just about to take a bite when I looked at it. I noticed that the entire top layer was covered in sesame seed. Now, interesting fact about me, I am deathly allergic to sesame seeds. A few other things as well, but that one is the worst. Now, sesame seeds aren't the most common food in my house, so we didn't find out until I was six, maybe seven. There was a dramatic sleepaway camp incident that had me rush to the hospital after I'd tried a sesame bagel. It had been years since that had happened, but it wasn't until that moment that I realized that my grandmother had no idea. I guess mom had never bothered to tell her. More importantly, I saw my mom look at me. Ten years old, that roll in my hand, and she smiled. One bite of that roll, my throat would swell until it closed up, constricting my airway. I didn't have any treatment anywhere near me. If I had taken that bite, there was a good chance that I'd be dead before an ambulance could even reach our house. I placed the roll back on my plate and brushed my hands off. And I just sat there at 
first, it was because I was too scared to eat. I was scared that I hadn't been able to get all the sesame off my hands, and that my next bite would be tainted and deadly. But, as I sat there, my mind couldn't stop running through my entire life. My mom just watched me almost die and didn't blink. And suddenly a lot of things became clear. Like the fact that I was never taught to look both ways or not talk to strangers until I'd heard it from friends in elementary school. Or she never bothered to get the seatbelts replaced in the backseat of her car after that one accident. Like I said, it wasn't anything particularly dramatic. I wouldn't even say it was a traumatizing event, but one thing was clear. Is clear. My childhood had absolutely no safety routes. There were no precautions or warnings. My mom didn't stop me from playing with matches or sticking a fork in an electrical socket. All of those things, those really basic life safety things, I learned through trial and error. So, in a lot of ways, I was never really safe growing up. Not in the way that the kid is supposed to be, I guess. Turns out we're all like that. Me, Vesper, Nova, even Lux, I think. It's hard to tell with them. I had it the easiest, though. My mom may have never wanted me alive, but she never put me in the hospital. Nova is the best at talking about this kind of thing. They have no shame about anything they went through in their childhood. Just a lot of righteous anger. Nova's father was, in their words, a, quote, pathetic son of a bitch who liked to take his issues out on anyone weaker, unquote. And when Nova was a kid, they were, well, an easy target. I won't get into all of the graphic details, but I know that their childhood resulted in three broken ribs, all broken on separate occasions, a broken wrist, and once a fractured skull, all at the hands of their father. Vesper's cage here on the topic, which didn't really surprise me. They are very consistent. Their parents never hurt them. Not physically, anyway. But when you get them talking, you find out that they had some pretty severe punishments if they ever broke the rules. Like, forgetting to do the dishes would result in hours of being screamed at. Coming home late could result in being deprived of food for the rest of the week. They would even be locked in a closet in the hall for days at a time when their parents decided that they deserved it. Vesper describes their childhood as being constantly on edge. Always sure that they had done something wrong and were just waiting for the next punishment. 
of no way of knowing when it was coming or how severe it would be. I didn't get the clearest description from Lux. From what I can tell, their mom used to disappear on them for days at a time until one day she just never came back and Lux had to go live with other relatives. Things weren't great before her mom left. She had a lot of different boyfriends and not all of them were nice. Lux mentioned one of them liked to, quote, pay her visits, unquote, and I couldn't bring myself to ask what exactly they meant by that. The point of all of this isn't to give you some sort of insight into our tragic psyches. The point is that I finally found it. The one thing that we all have in common. All of us had a childhood in which we didn't get to feel safe. We were all threatened and scared during the time when we were supposed to be protected. Now that we've gotten through that, we can get into some theory. It's closer to modern, much more scientific-based. One of those theories that came into relevance after most people agreed that psychoanalysis isn't really worth our time. We're talking about the threat simulation theory. I think I might have touched on it in an earlier transmission, but... I can't remember what exactly I said back then, so we'll just have to go through it all again. Sorry to my more studious or obsessive listeners. The threat simulation theory is an evolutionary theory on dreams, which means it's based on the idea that dreams are essential to human survival and reproductive success. Now, the fact that the majority of the world literally survives without dreaming does call into question the soundness of any evolutionary theory on dreams, but Renuso, the pioneer of threat simulation theory, didn't know that, so we're going to give this the benefit of the doubt. According to the threat simulation theory, dreams exist to allow our minds to rehearse a threat, giving us the chance to safely practice our ability to detect threats and figure out how to avoid them. This theory has a lot of nuances and propositions. Venuso seems to have been a very thorough person. A lot of these nuances are pretty much lost on us today. There's a lot of focus on the content of dreams. From back when they actually had enough people dreaming to make content comparisons. The basic gist of it is that dreams don't reflect what people actually spend most of their time doing. In general, only some events manage to make it into our dreams, and the events that do make it are most likely negative. Dreaming produces fear more than any other emotions. So, I guess you could say 
that our dreams tend to make us feel threatened. According to Revenuso, there's a reason for all of this fear. Dreams are there to prepare us for threats. This preparation hinges on the realism of dreams and the efficiency of mental imagery training. I've talked about this before, the way that dreams just feel real. No matter how absurd or impossible the dream is, you just accept it as your reality. Mental imagery training isn't exclusive to dreams, it's just another form of rehearsal or practice. A simulation of skills, like how to escape from a predator, or maybe even playing an instrument can improve your skill level. When your brain plays out the actions of the skill, it shows similar activities when you're physically doing the action. So it is feasible that you could actually learn how to avoid a threat just by dreaming it. That's the basics of the theory. Our dreams simulate threats and give us the chance to practice solutions without dying. They teach us how to stay alive. But, of course, nothing about this theory explains why dreams would stop. We certainly haven't stopped trying to survive, as a species, anyway. And we've already talked about why evolving past the need for dreams doesn't make any sense. Well, there are two parts of this theory that I haven't discussed yet. Admittedly, I have withheld them for purely dramatic purposes, so I hope you're all engaged. The first thing is that this theory is never really complete. That's wrong. I mean, this is a complete theory, but it was never the entire story. Arvinus always said that not all dreams were threat simulations. I haven't been able to find any explanation for why those other dreams occurred, but people who dream have boring or happy dreams along with the threatening ones. With no explanation for these dreams, then there's no reason in this theory, or it would be a problem if they just stopped happening. So maybe most dreams, the ones that don't actively make you feel threatened, were never adaptively beneficial. Maybe we just stopped remembering them because they weren't important, but that does leave us with an even more difficult question. If there is something necessary about threat simulation, then why do so few of us have any threatening dreams? portion of this theory, and back to trauma. The threat simulation theory also states that encountering real threats or otherwise traumatic events in your waking life has a substantial effect on your dreams. Real threats activate the threat simulation system. There's nothing else in the world, no experience that has such an, a profound impact on the way people dream. So, maybe, 
me and the others who dream just have a highly activated threat simulation system that allows us to recall our dreams. Or maybe it goes deeper than that. Maybe it goes to places that Revenue so never theorized. None of us had any dreams before we left home. With every single one of us, our dreams began after we had moved out. After we had gotten somewhere safe. And I know that to most of you who haven't felt unsafe in your home, that sounds like a nice happy ending. You can close the curtain, the screen goes black, and life is all better now. But it... It doesn't, that's... That's not how it works. It's... Living in a house that is unhappy, it... Okay, it fucking sucks. But you get used to it. The anxiety and the paranoia and pain and that sense of isolation, it all just... It becomes like your air. It's invisible, ever-present, and maybe even keeping you alive. When your home isn't safe, you still learn to live there. Eventually you reach some sort of equilibrium where you you know where the landmines are, or at the very least you learn to hear the ticking of certain time bombs. You know exactly where all the threats in your life are, when they might go off, how to avoid it when you can, and deal with it when you can't. It's all there, just in front of you. And when you leave that, very suddenly, there are just so many other threats that you don't know. Maybe your brains just can't let go of that. Maybe when you felt threatened for most of your life. You miss that feeling and dreams give it back to you. And it's not that you want the fear or the violence or it's just that it feels normal. That's all you've understood life to be and when it suddenly goes the entire world just feels different and Alien. Or maybe it really is preparation. Maybe dreams are just helping you understand different threats, making you feel safer in the world by giving you some kind of direction to look towards.
I'm not sure if that made a lot of sense. I don't think much makes sense about this kind of thing. I don't generally like talking about growing up in the way that it may have left an impact on me. I very much like to think that I can live in the present moment. There's something sad about our dreams maybe coming from that time in our lives. The idea that it just can't go away. talk about this anymore. At least not in a polite and rational manner, so I'm, I'm, I'm gonna leave before I say something I regret.